Now, this time to the book of Titus, as James will be preaching from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. He has begun a series in uh, the qualifications for an elder, and he has gone over those in different parts. And he is completing that section, and he is going to be addressing the elder's task. As uh, Paul wrote this letter to address to Titus the instructions that he was to do while he was in Crete. Titus chapter 1, verse 9 through 16. It reads there, as Paul writes, Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. James. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Wow, you guys are up close here. Give you some space to save you from getting a little damp this morning. Um, and Andy, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm, I don't see you enough. I'm afraid it's good to always have you back. Um, it's funny, for those of you who don't know, I know many of you do, but uh, before Andy left off to do ministry in Asia, he was actually a, uh, a teacher at my high school while I was at high school. <laughs> It is true. We used to we used to meet um, we used to meet in his classroom. He used to let a, a Bible study meet there, and so I, I didn't even uh, I had heard that you might have been a believer at the time, but I, I wasn't sure of it. And, and now I know, and I wish I would have known then, um, because I would have had you sign my yearbook. <laughs> so I, this morning I I brought my senior class yearbook. You can. Find your picture. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's okay. So now the congregation can see what you look like, which is pretty much the same, except without glasses. I think. Um, anyway, I thought that I thought that was fun. So you can date it uh, today's date, so that way, it's, you know, manuscriptual accuracy, but still. Anyway, it's good to see Andy. Welcome back. Yes, and this morning we're going to turn back to the book of Titus. That's, that's what I've been speaking to you uh, about these last few times, about the qualifications of elders um, and their qualities. It's about shepherding. Paul was writing to the book of Titus, um, he's writing to Titus, rather, to appoint elders, people who would shepherd 
the church. Um, shepherding, sometimes it's a difficult aspect for us to think about. Right? I mean, shepherding is not exactly an occupation that we see all the time. You know, you're not driving around the highways. In, a, in our typically urban setting of our modern society, we don't see sheep grazing on the sides. We don't see shepherds uh, watching their flocks by night. Um, and so sometimes it, it's, it's good to remind ourselves on how important this occupation was to the ancient world. Because to them, um, seeing shepherds and sheep was a common aspect of life. Today it's very rare. It's as rare as maybe finding a good parking spot in Seattle. A free parking spot in Seattle, maybe. Even rarer. You know, there's certain areas, you know, in probably the countrysides or different parts of the world today that it's still common. But but back then, in this setting, um, shepherds were uh, a common aspect of life. And they were it was a necessity, right? The, the people depended on them for the wool, for their meat, and sacrificing, things like that. Uh, how, how many sheep that you would have, how many lambs was a, a good indicator on how wealthy somebody was. I mean, they, to them, it was as good as money, having lots of sheep. And so, it was common for, for, for shepherds to be lying the hillsides and, and leading their sheep. Um, a shepherd's primary goal was to protect the sheep, to lead them to areas where they could feed safely, to guard them from going astray. And it was a dangerous job. It was a dangerous job. King David, being a shepherd, uh, noted in speaking to King Saul that he frequently had to fight off bears and lions from taking off his sheep. But also, interestingly, it was the type of job that was usually given to the youngest of the family. Because shepherding doesn't take muscle. Right? You don't have to be a Goliath to shepherd sheep. And so typically the older sons in the family, the older men would be doing the, the more physically strenuous jobs, of the, the building and the farming. And so usually it was the, although they probably would all each take their turn, usually it was the youngest of the family that would be the shepherd or remain there the longest. But as I said, it doesn't take physical brawn. What it takes is wisdom and insight. Knowing how to use the instruments you have. You need to be wise and these, these shepherds would, would use their instruments and they would walk with the sheep during the day and guide them, make sure that they were, would go into safe areas and, and find water to drink. And at nighttime, they would often sleep with them or, or put them in a fold, is what they call it, or a cave, and, and sleep on the outside to guard them, to protect them from both themselves and from predators. And we see throughout Scripture that, that the Bible often refers to sheep as, as humanity, as the general people both of the world, but also people within the church. And it often likens shepherds to those spiritual leaders who are guiding them. Obviously, Christ Jesus being our chief shepherd, He has assigned under-shepherds to guide, watch, and lead His flock. And so it's to this idea of oversight that we are once again going to turn this morning. It's this idea of, of leading, protecting, and guiding that we've been examining and we will continue again through this section of Titus. Now, the last few times I've spoken with you, I've mainly discussed, we've mainly examined the qualities of an elder. I explained to you why these qualities, these standards were important. Because as, as Paul writes, an elder is God's steward. He's, he's running his household while he's away. And so therefore, only qualified men, qualified trustworthy men should be given this task. Because it's important. It's an important task. It's one that's necessary. It's one that God has designed for the church to have elders and to lead. And therefore, qualified men must fill it. 
And this makes sense, right? If, again, as I, as I spoke, if you, if you were going to go out of town, or you're going to go out for the evening, and you're going to hire a babysitter or someone to house it, right, you, you're going to want somebody who's qualified, who, who's trustworthy to, to take care of what's most precious to you. And in the same way with God's household, He wants those who are most qualified and most trustworthy to take care of His things while He's away. And so far, the qualifications to this point have been all on a character level. What is the character of this man? Because character reveals spiritual maturity. You want to see a spiritually mature person? It's them living it out day by day. It's their lifestyle. It's how they act in school and in work and at home. Character is manifested through lifestyle. If you want the world to know what kind of person you are, then live in a way that is honoring to God and they will recognize it. So an elder in God's household is first and foremost a man of godly character. But up until this point, uh, Paul has just been describing um, the character of an elder and he hasn't gotten into what the duty of an elder is. He's been describing what an elder is, is to be, but he hasn't described what an elder is to do. And so finally, in the beginning of verse 9, he, he transitions from what an elder is to what an elder has to do. But an elder first must meet these character qualifications, which, we, which we've examined. And I likened it to pilots, people wanting to enter into the military and become pilots. In order to become a pilot, you must first meet these standards of qualifications. Eyesight, size, stature, you know, mental capacity, do you get motion sickness? You go through all these different type of testings before you can even be assigned what kind of pilot you could be, whether it's a cargo or a bomber or a fighter jet. Before you even get to what kind of pilot you're going to be, you must first meet these standards. And, and I think many, in many ways, this is the same type of thing. You must meet first these standards to become an elder of, of, of character. And once you do, then your duty is assigned. Once it is proven that you are capable of doing the job, then your assignment is given. And Paul gives it here in verse 9. He says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the duty of an elder. He has many duties. He has many jobs, as you see in our church today, but the the chief responsibilities of an elder are two things. One, to teach sound doctrine. Two, to correct those who contradict it. So through this passage, I want to give you the two chief responsibilities of an elder so that you will understand their purpose and follow their instruction. The two chief responsibilities of an elder so that you will understand their purpose and follow their instruction. If God has given them to be leaders over the church, their job is undermined if you don't follow their instruction. This is God's desire for you, for His church. So what does a steward of God do? What does a steward of God do? The first thing he does, Paul writes, is that he teaches correct doctrine. He instructs the body in the Word of God. He writes, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. An elder must be a man who knows scripture. He must first and foremost be a man who knows and understands scripture. This is very important. Because you have to know scripture in order to teach it. 
You have to know something well to be able to give insight and application and instruction to the people of God. And this, in a sense, I guess, is another quality, but it, it directly applies to the duty. You must be equipped to teach. In order to teach, you must know. You must have studied. And Paul says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. The word hold, hold firm or, or holding fast, some versions might say, it gives the idea of, of someone having a tight grip on something. Like they're focusing on it. Their eyes are not anywhere else, but they're, they're grasping, it, grasping it as if that's the most important thing in their life at that moment. It's like a mother holding their, child, holding their child's hand in a, in a crowded place or crossing the street. Or a shipwrecked sailor in the ocean holding onto a, a wood plank or, or a life ring. They're holding on to it. The, the, the cares of the world seem to not matter except this right now. And, and, and Elder, it is the Word of God that he is grasping onto. He's seeing everything else of the world through the lenses of the Word of God. And this word holding fast, it can also be translated devoted. An elder is devoted to the Word of God. In Matthew 6, you don't need to flip there, I'll, I'll read it to you. And, and instructing, instructing the people, the Lord writes, He says, in 624, it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word devoted there, it's, it's the same root word. It's the same thing. Holding fast to the word of God, it gives the idea of being devoted to. To an elder, the word of God is, for life, it's his compass, it's his map. It's his instruction manual. Everything he does is based off of it. He follows its leading. He does what it says. He depends upon it. And how is devotion made clear to the world? How is devotion made manifest? By study and practice. By reading it and then doing what it says. That's how the world will know that you studied. That's how the world will know that you're devoted to the Word of God. If you don't ever read it or study it and say you're devoted to it, that doesn't make any sense. What are the type of things you're devoted to? Right? For many of you, it's the job. It's okay. You've got to pay the bills and kids to feed. That's understandable. You have to study to do better. What, students. What about students? You devoted to your studies? Right? If your parents come to you and say, you know, how do I know you're devoted to your studies? Parents take note. Students take warning. They come and ask you. How are they going to know? It's, it's how well you know the subject. Typically, grades are a good indicator. Not always. Didn't always get the best grades. But I wasn't always devoted to my studies. We devote ourselves to the things that we love. Right? Things that you love, you devote yourselves to. It's not a difficult thing. Sure, there's going to be aspects of, of your enjoyment that you always don't like, but if you enjoy it, then you're going to devote yourself to it. And an elder is a man who has devoted himself to the Word of God, not just out of um, obligation, not just because he, he feels as if that's the only thing an elder does. It's because he just loves it. He would do it anyway, even if he wasn't an elder. And why? Why must an elder be devoted to the Word? Paul explains at the end of verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that 
he may be able to give instruction. The first chief duty of an elder is to teach sound doctrine, to give instruction to the people. This is clear. He needs to feed the sheep. He needs to guide them to green pastures so that they can feed. And an elder must know it well enough to teach it. And this fact should both encourage and discourage some of you from being an elder. Your devotion to the love of God should be a good indicator as to whether God is calling you to the office. But we know that Scripture calls us all to love God's Word and be devoted to it. So if it's not you, check your heart. Examine yourself. And study God's Word. The Word of God should encompass the thoughts of an elder. It should encompass his conversations. It should be the thing that he most loves talking about. Again, he's devoting himself to it. And the thing is, there's so many aspects in life that we do this. There's so many aspects in our life that we devote ourselves to that, that, that we love talking about. Right? I know some guys in college, they love sports statistics. Right? And guys are like this, right? I mean, I know gals sometimes, you don't understand this. And maybe it's guys, it's gals in shopping trends or fashion. I don't know. I don't understand that either. But guys, I know some guys in college, they, they love sports statistics. and they, 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 It's no burden to them to tell me how many yards per carry Sean Alexander had last season or how many hits Ichiro has had on left-handers the last six years. Like, that's not a problem to them. And they love talking about it and debating issues. They find great enjoyment in it. Right? And, and if, they, if there's an answer that I ask that they don't know about, you know, they, they, with great curiosity they run and look up these stats so they can give me an answer and they, they, they can know for their own knowledge. And so they could give an answer next time about this statistic. And an elder should be the same way with the words of God. They should find great enjoyment talking about all sorts of things about the Word of God. Its aspects, its, its characteristics, its commands. And if there's something that they don't know about it, they, with great curiosity, they should run to it with enjoyment, searching it out so that they can give an answer. So that they can instruct. Because how much more important is the Word of God than the things of this world? And so you as a, as a church body should, should feel comfortable and confident going to an elder, going to the pastor and teacher and leadership of a church and asking them questions about God's Word. An elder should know God's Word and be known for knowing it. And be known for knowing it. And there have been many heroes in the church that have been known for this. About a week ago on, on, on Friday, the the youth group has been going through church history, studying giants of the faith. And we, we studied a man by the name of John Bunyan. John Bunyan was, was famously known for studying and being able to teach God's Word. He's the author of the, the famous Pilgrim's Progress, as well as many other books which he wrote in prison for preaching, I might add. And in studying his life, C.S. Spurgeon notes of John Bunyan, he writes, Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere and his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. 
So, so may this be said of everyone who is an elder in the church of God. That if you prick him, you bleed the words of, Bible, words of God. You, you bleed the Bible. An elder must be able to teach. He must be able to know. But he also must be able to teach soundly. This is a key here. Paul says, give instruction in sound doctrine. Sound or healthy. His teaching must not be squishy. Must not be weak. It is not the type of, well, it kind of means this to me, but whatever it means to you is fine. I mean, we laugh, but we've heard that before. It must be correct, and it must be backed up by proper interpretation, by proper scripture. An elder must be able to teach in a way that Paul taught to the Bereans. So what, when, when he taught them the truth of the gospel, the Bereans went home and they searched diligently the scriptures to find out if what Paul was saying was true. And indeed it was. And the same should be said about anyone teaching the word of God. They should be teaching it soundly and correctly so that anybody hearing it may be able to go home, look up the verses that he said, research the theology and say, wow, he's, he is right and I'm learning. They need to instruct the body on what the word says, what it means, and how, how we can apply it to live with. Right? They're, they're taking the word of God and making it applicable in a correct fashion to us today. And that's how it's always been. That's how it's always been. Paul, in writing to, to Timothy, who had a similar job to Titus at the church of Ephesus, writes to him and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, those being the elders, who may be, who may be able to teach others also. That's the whole point. It's been that way from the beginning. God has, has appointed elders and, and God has appointed apostles and prophets in the ancient times to speak the word of God. And those that heard from the, from the apostles were to remember it and teach other faithful men so that they might be able to teach others also. And on and on and on and on and on and on till today where we are also hearing the words of the apostles. Not to change the words of the apostles. He doesn't say, you know, remember what I've taught you and teach faithful men and then whatever happens to be relevant for the time, then change what I said and, and make it applicable then. He doesn't say add to what I've said. He just says, listen to what I've said and teach them this. And only this. Because this is the word of God and that's all you need. In the early days, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have God's complete word yet. And so God needed to appoint, or He decided to appoint apostles to preach the Word of God, just like He did the prophets of the Old Testament. The apostles were God's spokesmen. But now we no longer need the apostles. And we don't have them anymore. Because we have God's complete Word. It says in 2 Peter that, that His divine inspiration, God's Word, is all we need for life and godliness. We don't need God to speak to us in the shower We don't need God to appear to us and give us some sort of divine revelation. Everything we need is already found in Scripture. And it is this truth the elders need to instruct the body. It's always been this way. I I think of uh, of that story of Philip and the eunuch in in Acts. 
Right? The, the Holy Spirit kind of reveals that he needs to go talk to this guy and he walks up and the, and the eunuch's sitting in the chariot and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's got this puzzled look on his face. Which I understand. I've been there. Don't always understand certain things in Scripture. That's why I need instruction. That's why you need instruction. He's got this puzzled look on his face. And Philip goes, uh, you understand what you're reading there? And he's like, how can I? How can I unless somebody guides me? I have no idea what this means. And so Philip... Being a godly man, God called, a man called by God, says, oh, here, let me explain it to you. And he explains about the sufferings of Christ and that he was the Messiah. We have the word of God and we can all study it for ourselves, but God has appointed teachers to give us insight and instruction to the things that we don't understand. Elders are to feed sheep with healthy doctrine, correct doctrine. That is his first and chief duty. His second is to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. He's not only to instruct in sound doctrine, but he's also to correct and rebuke those who live and teach contrary to sound doctrine. And I see this as being done in two different ways. The first is that he corrects believers who are in error or who are living in sin. He corrects believers who are in error or who are living in sin. In addition to guiding sheep and feeding them, a shepherd also needs to protect sheep from going astray. And to help him do this, he would often carry a shepherd's staff or a crook, you'd see it. It'd be like a long staff with a, with a hook on the end. It was bowed a little bit so that if a sheep, because sheep are helpless and they just kind of wander off and do whatever they want, he, he would walk to them and he'd have to sometimes throw the staff around him and yank them back into line to stay with the fold. Not because he was necessarily mad at them, but he was doing it for their safety. He was doing it to protect them out of love. Because at the end of the day, a shepherd bringing in the flock had to give an account to the master on the sheep. Because the master knew exactly how many sheep there were, and if there were any missing, it was the shepherd's responsibility. He had to give an account. And so he did this job uh, with diligence. It was important to him. He just lie around and like, oh, there goes another one off a cliff. That's too bad. No, he cared for them, and he was watching over them all to make sure they were going on the path. And safety. And the Lord makes this clear. I mean, even instructing to the Pharisees, He's like, you know, which one of you uh, who has a hundred sheep, if, if one of them goes astray, would not leave the ninety-nine who are safe to go after the one who is missing? And when He finds it, you throw it upon your neck and you carry it with joy. I mean, they all understood the importance of not allowing sheep to go astray. And this is the job of an elder to go after stray sheep to make sure that they stay on the path of righteousness. Be aware. Be aware. An elder is going to come after you. Right? This is his job. He's going to come after you if he sees you walking astray, living in a way that is contrary to sound doctrine. And he's going to do it relentlessly. He'll even be willing to leave the other 99 ones that are safe and continue to come after you until he finds you. Until you repent and you come back to the fold, until you are instructed in sound doctrine, he will continue to come after you and after you until he either brings you back or it's made manifest that you are actually not a sheep at all, but a goat and don't belong in the flock. At which point, hopefully, he'll 
preach the gospel. This is what Paul again instructs Timothy in his first letter. He says, Preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. An elder must be willing to do this. It's not an easy job. No one likes going after somebody and saying, You're going astray. You're living in sin and you need to repent. And some of these are big issues. Sometimes people drastically, as the world would call, backslide. You know. But it doesn't always have to be as big as this, right? It can even just be a simple bit of shepherding. You know, it could even be as simple as, you know, hey, hey brother, I've noticed that uh, your, your attitude lately has been a little negative. It's been a little ungodly. You've been focusing on yourself a bit. You know, hey, I understand what's going on. How, how can I pray for you? Or, hey, you know, I, I noticed that your language is, is not really God-honoring. You know, and, you know, the Lord says we need to do everything for His glory. So just, you know, mind your tongue a bit when, you, when, you, when you're around other people. And, you know, how, how's your spiritual life going? You know, it might even be, for some of you, you know, hey, you know, I, I appreciate you dressing up to church, but, you know, you, lately I've seen that your, your dress is a little immodest. And I just, I just want you to know I care about you, but a lot of times that causes people to stumble. It can be little things like that, just caring and asking about how you're doing. Because that's his duty, that's his job, to make sure you're on the right path. He cares for you, an elder cares for the sheep. And so for, for this very purpose, for this very reason, we are to listen to elders. You are to know their purpose so that you will follow their instruction. The author of Hebrews writes, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So they're doing it for your own protection. They're watching out for your souls. This is the duty of an elder, to instruct but also to protect you. And many times he's designed to protect you from yourself. He's pulling you back, getting you back on the path of righteousness. But he also protects in another way. He protects from predators who creep in from the outside, seeking to destroy the sheep. So not only does an elder correct believers who are in error or living in sin, but he also confronts and exposes those who teach false doctrine. It is an elder, it is a church leader's job to go and say, you are teaching falsely, you are teaching lies, and you're leading, sheep, you're leading sheep astray. This is the main purpose of this verse. This is the main purpose of what Paul is saying here. He says, so that you may be able to give, give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Why? Verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. You want to know what the greatest threat to the early church was? It wasn't their poverty. It wasn't the threat of uh, the Greek religions. It wasn't even the threat of the Roman persecution. The greatest threat to the early church was that people would enter the church under the title of Christians, but would corrupt the church. It would corrupt the purity of the church, they would pervert the gospel, and they would lead people astray. This was the biggest threat of the early church. And this plagued Paul's ministry. It plagued him. 
I mean, it was killing him. You read his letters, and he is writing, trying to fix and correct false teaching that's going on in the church. And as a matter of fact, he warns the church about this. Flip with me to Acts chapter 20, if you will. At this point in, in Luke's account, um, Paul is now sailing I think, towards Jerusalem, but he, he wants to talk with the elders at Ephesus, but he doesn't want to stay in the city. So he, so he, call, he calls and asks him, all the elders to come out and meet with him. And he meets with them, and he says to them, beginning in verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He has ordained with His own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Wolves are going to come. Be alert here. It's an imperative. It's not like, hey, kind of watch out if you can. No, it's a command. Watch out. They're going to come and they're going to try to pick off the sheep one by one. So he says, be alert. These men were to be like a, a city watchman who guards the city by night. Keeping his eyes open for anyone who would infiltrate the city to plunder or to rob. He's to be aware at all times. That is his job. That is his job. And how often do we read Paul's letters correcting doctrine and encouraging them? He's trying to expose these men, saying, when I get there, I'm going to expose them and I'm going to throw them out of the church until they repent. And I think Galatians 3, I always laugh whenever I read through Galatians because it's almost like he, he gets to his end. And at the beginning of Galatians 3, he's like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who is doing this? It's killing me. I'm going to come and I'm I'm going to expose them. He calls them foolish because they should know better. This is the purpose of qualified elders. They're to instruct the church in godliness. They protect people from their own sin and pull sheep who who are going astray. But they are also to... Protect them from predators. Because Paul, Paul couldn't visit all the churches all the time. He didn't have the time or energy or materials, for that matter, to be writing letters to every church. So through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he says, okay, this is what God wants. He wants appointed, qualified, trustworthy elders over each church to do this job, because I can't do it all. These people need to do it for me. They need to watch out for the flock. They need to watch out for the flock, as I do. That's the purpose of qualified elders. They must be alert. And why must they be alert? Because because oftentimes false teaching creeps in unnoticed. And people don't even realize that it's there. It's it's like like that, that frog who's sitting in that nice, cool pot of water on the stove. It's enjoying itself. But when the burner's turned on and the water heats up, it doesn't realize it. And so although, although there's peril starting to build up, although the, the water gets hotter and hotter and hotter, the frog doesn't notice. 
until it's finally too late and it's perishing. It's too late to turn back. So often does false teaching creep into the church like that. It's unnoticed until finally when it's realized it's too late and it's taken over. And oftentimes people are led astray and perish. And Paul reveals who these enemies are. He says that they're empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Those of the circumcision party. These are the people who we would call the Judaizers. These were people who claimed to be Christians, but still held that you needed to follow the law of Moses to be saved. That you needed to be circumcised, that you needed to obey the dietary laws, and that you needed to obey the Sabbath and every other law of Moses to be saved. It was a system of works and self-righteousness. And it contradicted the gospel. And we know from Acts and we know from many uh, other historical records that there were many Jews on Crete. We see them at Pentecost. And so it makes sense that this would be the group that's always opposing the Christians. Because it was difficult for the Jews, it was a stumbling block for them to get past not obeying the law of Moses. Even though it was a yoke that they themselves could not even bear. And Paul calls such men insubordinate. They're rebellious. They're empty talkers and deceivers. They're people who who speak eloquently. It's like a lot of politicians today, right? They they speak all eloquently with wise words, like they're going to do all this stuff, but in the end when you examine them about what they're going to do or, or how they're going to do things, it's just empty talk. A lot of smoke and mirrors. But it's all meant to deceive people, to follow them. In the end it is truthless. And in this case, how are they deceiving people? Verse 14 reveals it. He says that they devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Their motives were apparent. It was for their own gain. Whether it was monetary or whether it was the, in front of people to get their own glory. But it certainly wasn't for the edification of the people. And it certainly wasn't for the glory of God. And Paul in these verses calls this type of game shameful. It's shameful. They were taking advantage of people and leading them astray. Paul writes again to Ephesus. He writes, he says... In 1 Timothy 1, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, speaking to Timothy again, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either in what they are saying or the things which they make confident assertions. This is the same thing that Timothy was going through. These Judaizers who were making these confident assertions, talking about all, all these things which, which they claim to be true, but in the end, they, they, they were lies. They were deceiving people. They swerve and twist Scripture to... To be whatever they want it to be. And they leave sound doctrine. And Paul explains the root of this problem. He says in in verse 15, "To, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. They have the appearance of purity, 
But they were not pure. Because their hearts were unbelieving. Their motives were that for themselves and not God. So even though they were like beautiful on the outside, they they looked like their motives were good, their hearts were wicked. And so even though they looked pure, nothing they did is pure. I liken this to what, the, what Christ called the Pharisees. They were like whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but their motives and everything they were doing was impure. Whereas someone who has, who has a believing heart, no matter what he does, if he's, done, if he's doing it for the glory of God, it is pure. It is pure. But all they did was impure because of their unbelieving hearts, which is why Paul says they, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And they have the reputation of being liars. They like all the other Cretans. Right? I don't take too much offense to this. Like I said, my, my grandmother's from Crete. Right? I, don't know, I don't think she's a lazy glutton. I hope she's not a liar. Right? But this is why Paul says that. Because he says, Cretans in general have the reputation for being like this. Even their own prophets are saying this. Well, I find it curious, you know, interesting that if a prophet from Crete says that there are liars, is he telling the truth or is he lying? I don't know. But nevertheless, he, he uses this quote for his point. He says, they have the reputation for being liars. And this is true. Because they were liars. They were deceivers. And so he says, be aware of this. Just like the prophets from Crete says, they're, they're liars, they are liars. And so what does he command them to do? Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The role of an elder is to guide and protect the sheep from wolves who come outside and devour the sheep, from bears, from lions, whatever it may be. It is dangerous and difficult at times, but it must be done. This is what God has desired for the church, for the office of elder. To look out for your souls. They are to expose false teaching and warn the sheep. And the goal of an elder is not to harm a false teacher, even though the desire is there, certainly. He desires a false teacher to repent and come into sound doctrine. The heart of an elder is like that of Christ, that he desires that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. He would want them to repent, but his first priority is the sheep and their well-being and their safety. The biggest threat to the early church whether it was the Judaizers or the Gnostics in Europe, was it the false teachers? They would infiltrate and twist Scripture and lead people astray. And church, I've got to be honest with you, the same threat is still the biggest to our church today. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, and we don't even have persecutions. Some of us have poverty. Not many of us, at least in this country, are being fed to lions. But the same threat is true today. Which is why the office of elder is so important still today. Somebody who is an elder is qualified to protect the sheep. And I see, I see TV evangelists, I see authors or so-called pastors, or even entire denominations teaching things which are so contrary to Scripture and they are leading millions astray. They attack Christ They attack His authenticity. They attack His resurrection. They attack Scripture, saying it's not true or it's full, it's inaccurate. Or just a bunch of uh, myths written by people with an agenda. 
And they call themselves Christians, but they deny the very doctrines which we hold to. The very doctrines which define us. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church alone, you know, talk about silly myths. Right? The, the praying and worshiping of saints and, and this whole idea of exalting the Virgin Mary, purgatory, all these different things and works. And people follow those and millions are being led astray by this about trying to work their way to heaven. Martin Luther saw it to cause him to, to finally, it was like the last straw. But don't think Catholics are, Roman Catholics are the only, only ones. There are many Protestant churches who are equally as bad. They're not alone. Many Protestant denominations now are ordaining gay pastors, women pastors. And talk about silly myths. Some of the stuff, I'm sorry. If it wasn't for some self-control, I, I would break the teeth. You know, I was at the gym about a week ago. Okay? And I was hoping no one was watching us. I don't even know what, why this was on. But it was like, you know, God wants you to be rich. And call now. And, and, and if you give this amount of money, we will send you the Ezekiel 36 miracle manna. And I said that. And I was scrolling upon the, you know, and I was looking around like, Lord, please let no one be watching this. Miracle manna? Are you serious? Right? Or, or it's Blankets. You know, if you send us these money, uh, we'll send you a, a piece of this blanket that will heal you or heal anybody or bring blessings upon your family. Or it's, you know, God wants you to be rich. And I can, I can bring out the, the truth from scriptures that will help you become rich and wealthy because that's what God, God wants the very best for your life. That sound like a, a book title? But millions of people follow this. I mean, they're silly and ridiculous myths, but people are led astray. In the words of Paul, they must be silenced. Or literally, their mouths must be stopped. And this is the job of an elder. It's the job of all of us, but God has entrusted the elder of this job to protect the sheep and to expose false teaching. An elder must know God's word. He must know it so well that he'll be able to spot a counterfeit in an instant. Like those guys with the money. Right? They bring in all, you know, ten different hundred dollar bills and those experts, they can just look and spot out the counterfeits in, in a matter of seconds. It's no problem to them. And an elder in God's church needs to be the same way. Because many times the doctrines look authentic. But at the root, they are deceitful. And they will lead people astray. They must hold fast to the word. But they might not just hold it, they must be able to wield it. Ephesians 6 likens the word of God to a sword. Hebrews says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. An overseer must be able to wield the sword with courage and precision, but doing so out of love for the sheep, but also as one who must give an account to the master. The job is of the utmost importance, church. That is why Paul spent so long talking about the qualifications of the character of an elder. So when the time comes, he'll be able to do the task which is called of him. And what is that task? It's to instruct the church on how to live in a godly way. It's to shepherd them back onto the path of righteousness when they go astray. Uh, astray but it's also to protect them for those who would come and corrupt and devour the church. 
It's important that you understand this so that you'll follow their instructions. Because if you have a place, godly elders above you, then, then you can trust them and you can know that they're looking out for your best interest. This is God's will for the church. And as a wonderful blessing, He has given you His word so that you can test the words they say. You nod it in the dark. You've got it in your own translation, language. You can test and, and test and make sure that what they're teaching you is accurate. And know that this is the job that they have been given to you, that, that, that God has given them to you for. And yet at the end of this chapter, Paul concludes his instructions toward the elder and he transitions to um, he transitions his, his attention from elders to everyone else. Okay, now that he's set out the qualities and duties of, of the elders, what is everyone else supposed to do? And in the beginning of chapter 2, he enters. In the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. This applies to everyone. But it's something we'll examine next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given us through your Son. We thank you for the patience that you show us in accordance with our sin and the wonderful blessings and gifts that you've given this church, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to fill our hearts with your word, that we might boldly proclaim your truth to the lost and dark world, Lord, that we would be able to expose and and spot counterfeits. And Father, I... I thank you for this church. I pray for the leaders of this church, God, that you would use them in a way that is glorifying to you, Lord. But that also you would raise up new men who would desire the office of elder, that would serve you with a whole heart, qualified, trustworthy men who are not afraid to stand up for your word and teach it, and who are not afraid to expose the false teachings for your glory. Men who love your word and desire your name to be glorified. Father, again, as our pastor prayed, Lord, be with those who are away. Keep them safe. And above all, be glorified by them. Bless their conversations so they might bring honor and glory to your name. For you are worthy of such. In Jesus' name, amen.